You're listening to the Signal to Noise podcast on the ProSound Web Podcast Network. Signal to Noise is proudly supported by Audix. Check out the new TM2 integrated acoustic coupler for in-ear monitors and their new line of studio headphones and condenser mics at audixusa.com. Alan and Heath has asked us to read the following statement. Warning. Listening to the Signal to Noise podcast on an empty stomach can cause ringing in the ears. Or maybe you just need a taco and the volume is set too high on your iPhone. Either way, we think it is worth the risk to listen in, and we are proud to support Michael and Chris, and maybe even Kyle sometimes. Welcome back to the Signal Noise Podcast. I'm Pro Sound Web. I'm Michael Lawrence. As always, I'm joined by Chris Leonard, Kyle Trinside. What's going on, fellas? How's it going? It's happening. Welcome back. Welcome back to you as well, Kyle. You know what? We're almost what? to episode 100. We need to start thinking. We need Get to start close. putting the nose to the grindstone and start thinking. And maybe people need to send in some ideas. I want you to sing. <laughs> we, we, still, we still haven't to heard my manager, Jeff Holly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we still haven't heard a track off your record yet. Just saying, you know. That's maybe true. We could do that on 100. There you I, go. There you go. I've been busy, man. We haven't been promoting. It's just uh, a <sighs> podcast life. It's, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of plates in the air, and I'm really excited about this week's episode, um, and, and I'll introduce our guests in just a second, but I, I, we brought on sort of a special guest host uh, to, to come back and enjoy some dialogue with us uh, thanks, this thanks week. Thanks, Kyle, for coming back. I appreciate yep, it. Kyle. Yeah, I made it. <laughs> no, uh, previous yeah. guest of the Signal Noise podcast and my colleague at Rational Acoustics, Mr. Chris Tangeris. Chris, welcome back. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's yeah. good to see you, man. I know that I just saw you like all day today, but good, good to see you again. All good. Uh, um, I asked Chris uh, to join us on the episode tonight because, like our guest, Chris is straddles that line between being a professional audio engineer and being a professional guitar player. And we like to talk a lot about the relationship between artists and musicians on this show. I'm really excited about uh, this week's guests who uh, I reached out to to talk about some of his audio engineering work. Um, he's a guitarist. He's a songwriter. He's a producer. He's a great mix engineer. Besides his solo work, he records and tours with Wolfpack with Ben Rector. I believe he netted a Grammy nomination this year. Uh, please welcome to the show, Mr. Corey Wong. Welcome. Yo. Hey, Corey. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Congrats on the Grammy nom. Oh, thank you, man. It's my first one. That's Feels really pretty cool. good. I bet. I bet. Feels pretty good. Did you get to do all the little uh, Grammy Academy things for the kids and stuff this year, or did they do like how did how did that go down? Um, I haven't been aware of any of those things, so I have not done any of those yet. Uh, last I heard, they just moved it to March. Cool. It was going to be the end of this month, but then they moved it to March. So I don't really know. Time to uh, I'm just excited. Hey, I'm I'm along for the ride, man. I'm chilling. Well, it's awesome. Uh, so a little bit of backstory: why I reached out to Corey. I uh, the artists I work with they were they were transitioning to in ear monitors they they're in their sixty they've been on wedges for decades and so it's a big it's a big shift uh, for people that are used to you know just kind of getting the wedge in the face and I was looking around on YouTube for examples of uh, in ear mix uh, videos oh. that they could listen to yeah. and because you know like sort of the hey this doesn't you don't have to treat this like a wedge I wanted to give them an, an, a couple examples of what a well balanced in ear mix sounds like and I came across video on Corey's channel where he's playing uh, lead guitar for Ben Rector on tour and it's shot from what looks like Monitor World and the audio of the video is Corey's intermix. And first of all, I got to say, fantastic, man. It's an awesome show. The <laughs> band sounds tight. It's just a lot of fun. Insane. Yeah, but but it's it's a really great example of a well-balanced intermix where you can actually hear things and they can cue off of it and pitch off of it and it's not just, yeah. you know... 150 dB of guitar right down the center channel. And I, I, I sent you an email, Corey, and I said, hey, man, that's a great example of a mix. Uh, I'm actually surprised at how low your guitar was in that mix. Uh, and you're like, don't worry, I got my amp behind me. It's super loud. It's great. So Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, it's not super loud. It, it's probably – that amp is probably about the level that you would expect if you're sitting in a small room, like in a rehearsal. So it's not super loud, but – it's enough to have a little extra because I've, I've used different in-ear mixes or I've used different in-ear monitors, everything from like a four driver, all clear custom mold to the sure five thirty fives. I think is what they're called. That's Sounds right. right. We'll That's go for I, it. 
Yeah. Uh, those though, like I like those. I don't know. I like the the all clear customs that I have, but I also am really cool with the sure ones. They're just a little the they're universal and they like if I'm congested or if my if I'm singing and my uh, uh, my jaw changes. Also, I had Invisalign, so my jaw shape changed a tiny bit. <laughs> my jaw actually and my te- my teeth obviously straightened out. Uh, but it changed a little bit of the way that my my ear cavity is from when I first got the molds done. So the universals, it, they just like they kind of form a little more with everything. So I like those. And yes, I don't love to have myself blaring in my ears. I know other guitar players. There's just I, I've actually listened in. I've, I've like been side stage with some of my friends bands and they've given me a, a pack so I can listen to my friend's in your mix of, of what he's listening to in, in his guitar mix. And it's just unlistenable to me <laughs> as just somebody who's trying to enjoy the show. Like, dude, there is so much guitar. Yeah. Not to mention not enough drums or rhythmic elements for you to really lock in tight. So for yeah, me, exactly. that's kind of the main reason if once I'm really comfortable playing something, I just need to hear myself enough to know because I'm going to go off the feel and I'm going to go off of, of how I'm hearing. I hear myself because I'm, I'm so in tune with what I'm playing because I'm actually playing it. So I need to hear everything else really well. How is everybody feeling the time tonight? Are we right on the grid? Are we right here? Are we there? Uh-oh, are we there? Let's pull it in. You know, or are we that way? So whenever, you know, like the, the video you're uh, referring to, it, it to me... I always want it to sound like just a good recorded mix in my right. ears. Plus the click, if there is a click, a tiny bit of the audience mics, just so I can feel a little bit of the room. And then maybe a tiny bit more guitar than you would expect on the album or whatever. And that's actually where I feel really comfortable because I have enough of myself, but also I, I don't lose sight of the big picture. If I listen to too much of myself, then all of a sudden that's what I'm paying attention to. And I've lose sight of the fact that, oh, no, 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 we're in chorus two. It's the vocal that's the important thing here. Mm-hmm. Not me playing this little line or yeah, whatever. Once you get to the performance, I mean, you're vibing with the band. You know what you're doing. It's, mus- it's almost muscle memory at that point. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah, yeah. And there's built-in spots. Like that. the video you're referring to, the first three and a half, four songs were all scripted to a, a click you hear the click because it's my inner mix, but it's scripted to a click, but there's things built in. Okay. It's, there's a built in guitar solo Do whatever you want, but it's 32 bars. And this is what's happening behind it. And there's, there's spots for things to happen and for things to breathe, but it's all just, it's just following a map. You know, we're driving down this road. I don't care what lane you're in, but just go down this road, you know. It's, it, I guess that's kind of the parameters. How about how, how about panning? Have you do you care at all about how things are panned spatially, or just even to give you more depth at all? Is that something you factor in, or you just let the monitor guy do what he wants to do? I normally do. Um, I try to have it feel things that are stereo, hard pan left and right. I, I, well, I treat it the same way that I would when I'm mixing an album, where I want it to feel like okay, the overheads are wide. I have a little kick and snare and a tiny bit of the time. I mean, my drum mix is not as good as an actual album mix because a lot of times I'm standing on a sub. Like the, st- the sub is under the stage mm. or right next to me on the side. So I'm normally relying on the bottom to just feel it because I'm in the room and there's a huge PA. Um, but as far as the panning goes, I- I'll maybe say, all right, keyboards like this. My guitar's like this and the other guitar like this or something, you know? So it's kind of halfway between what you would expect normally playing on stage. It's like, oh yeah, the keyboard player's over there and I'm right here behind me. But also kind of mixed with what an album is like where you expect things to be spaced out in a, in a way that's really clean. You have space for all the elements and that's part of the, the struggle. As soon as you get something in that mix that just has to be gigantic, you know, you, you yeah. kind of you're cutting back. I mean, one one of the issues that I think that uh, the the lead player in the band I'm working with, he likes to be really really loud in his own mix, and that leads to him having no idea how he's balancing with anybody else. 
And so when exactly. you kick it up for the solo, he's like, "Was it too much? Was I? Was it? Was it? You know, enough?" And I'm like, "What? Well, you know, if you just had a more balanced tone uh, in in your ears and balanced with all the other elements, you wouldn't have to ask me that because uh, because yeah. when you're 12 dB above everything else, you have no idea where it's sitting. You know? Yeah. And then especially if if your front of house can engineer can anticipate what's coming because a lot of times okay, we're going to do this set list. This is the show that we built for this tour. Or even if it's not that you've built a show for a tour, it's, okay, when this song happens, Corey does a solo after the second chorus. What am I expecting to happen? Should I boost his level 10 dB or 3 dB? Or is it going to be fine because whatever he's going to kick on his pedal board is going to do enough? If I can have my level where it feels kind of balanced, but like, bonus guitar d a couple bonus guitar db is you know like i'm saying is what i like that way when i kick on the gas i know a little more also how it's feeling in the room and how it's feeling for the other players if i all of a sudden hit 20 db of get of of extra it's it's just going to destroy the front of house engineer and fortunately also i i work with really great front of house engineers who know how to diplomatically say um cory you know when you go into your solo um you're kind of crushing everything with how loud you they they're whatever we have a good rapport it's like hey uh during the verse whatever you're doing it it doesn't cut through can you can you make that patch a little bit louder or whatever right and sometimes that comes on on show number eight sometimes it shows up at rehearsal number two different thing it depends on how far into the nuances we are on the band and on the mix side of things and how how your engineer lying? Jake's going to be coming on our show in a couple of weeks, by the way. Oh, uh, nice. Full disclosure. So, <laughs> sorry, how, Kyle. Go ahead. <laughs> how reliant have you became on your in-ear mix? Uh, do you ever go out and do gigs and get wedges in front of you? Like, oh, damn, this thing. Um, I'm totally fine either way, and I've just had to make sure that I've maintained that mindset, partially because I grew up doing both. Most of what I did playing in clubs, I'm just playing in wedges or just playing with the band, the rehearsal room. We're just throwing up stuff and playing. But also, I grew up playing in a church where we had wedges and then we moved over to using an in-ear system. We had an Avium, Avium, however you say it, system and learned how to do that. And I, I just, I know how to work in both of those. I have certain expectations. You asked about panning. Sometimes it's better just to know that there's not any panning because then it's less things to worry about. Yeah. Because as soon as I know that I can, ooh, move my guitar <laughs> over here a little bit, move the keyboard, then all of a sudden everything is fair game as far as what can be moved where. Sometimes it's better to just show up. It's like, no, you have a mono mix. Okay, drums up. <laughs> a little more kick. All right. Yeah. Guitar up. And I'm not worrying about, oh, can you place this here or place that there? Whatever. Throw and go at festivals, whatever. Just give me something that's workable. And wedges, fine. I, I kind of rely on some of the autonomy of what the stage is giving. And then supplementing. I mean, I, I don't play with a super loud stage volume. Wolfpack for years was just wedges. Up until like the last tour and a half, we started using in-ears. And it, it mostly because of the singers to get the volume they needed like you do when you get into beer venues, it's just harder to get the volume you need when there's ten thousand people screaming this way. You don't take that, you don't hear that at sound check. So when we're sound checking, it's like, oh man, it feels great. We get to the gig, oh, turn everything up, turn everything <laughs> up, and then it's just all these, like you know, every frequency in every different place is is screaming from one thing. It's like. Theo's singing from the drum set. Oh, he's singing more, more vocal. It's like, wow, there's a lot of hi-hat in this mix. Yeah, because your lead vocal is literally right next to it. So, you know, there's, there's things we just learned to adjust and adapt. And we're fine on either. And I'm fine on either. But also, the, the, the person that taught me the most about this was a small interaction I played on the Conan O'Brien show with Ben Rector. And... Uh, the drummer couldn't make it. I don't remember what happened. He had he had something else he was committed to. But Aaron Sterling came to play drums. And Aaron's session pro, I don't know, maybe like the most busy session drummer in the world right now. Anyways, he came to play that uh, Conan show. 
And he was just like, I don't know. Yeah, sure. Whatever. Yeah, just a little bit of this. Yeah, that's fine. Okay, cool, cool. Very not super picky. And he was just able to make it happen. Very low maintenance. And he, I, I don't remember exactly what he was talking about, but he was just kind of a, a good lesson in if you feel prepared, you really know what's happening and you're paying attention and you hear just enough, you don't have to be super picky. So, oh, I need Tom 1 to be, you know, pan that one 12 to here and then Tom 3 pan 66 to the right and Tom 2, you know, I, it's uh, you're hearing it enough. And sometimes I find myself when I have more options, you know, then I, that's the, ah, then it just gets more complicated. So I'm fine in either one. Wedges, <laughs> mono in here, stereo in here. As long as I can hear something, it's fine. I mean, I'd, I'd prefer to be forced to have to focus more on listening to the band and what they're doing. Yeah, than be totally. worried about what I'm doing. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I, you know, like you said, you know, you're 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 playing. You know, to me, it's like muscle memory, especially if it's if you're playing through songs that are rehearsed. You know, I, I want to know what everyone else is doing and I'm be able to hear them clearly. So you know, yeah, the monitor suck. I'm going to be paying way more attention to them than what I'm doing. You know, yeah. Sometimes it's tough when it's like a sit-in. Um, I've done a couple sit-ins at Red Rocks where the monitor engineer says, all right, you're going to go up, plug your pedal board in. There's a Fender Twin set up. Here's an in-ear mix. Hope it's good. <laughs> you know, I know and, that and, guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you are that guy, I'm at the other end of the snake. <laughs> No, normally it'll be something like I'll be side stage and the band will be playing the song before and I'll adjust a little bit. And then what I'll end up doing is just try to get a decent mix there. And whatever volume I'm going to be at, I'm going to adjust myself on my pedal board to get where I need to be and and kind of anticipate where they expected my volume to be. If I'm blaring in my ears, I'm just going to turn the amp down on my end and then let the front of house engineer gain it back up if he needs to or she needs to because in that moment if i need to be listening and paying attention i don't know this song i'm just kind of sitting and playing i just gotta i i need to i need to make sure that i can get this thing gain me up fine whatever i'm just sitting in anyways and so that way i'm not always oh don't oh 3db don't you know or whatever i can just kind (laughs) of adjust myself get it hopefully set within the first 30 seconds and then the front of house engineer can, okay, all right, all right. Yeah. Do you ever get that feeling like you don't want to be that guy either? Like whenever I'm playing shows, like I don't want to be the guy that's just pestering the engineers and in, in being like needy. Like I just want to be the guy, I just want to be playing and like the cool, all right, this, the guitar player is easy to work with. You know, like he's not, he's low maintenance. Like, yeah, man, I'm good, you know. Totally. And also that's, that's what's going to make the best experience for the audience as well. So the audience doesn't want, oh, the, okay, for the band to say, guys, just wait. I have a really special guest coming out tonight to play guitar. You're going to love him. Corey oh. Wong. I get up, play record. Oh, 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 this, oh, oh, yeah, oh. Right? Come, on. <laughs> no, come out, yeah. perform the thing. All right, I'm playing. Oh, I'm too loud. <sighs> turn myself down. I might even just do it on my guitar, yeah. you mm. know, or I need to turn up. All right, I'm going to go down my pedal board and, and boost my compressor out a little bit or whatever and then front house can turn me down like i just need to make sure in the moment the audience the performance of it is what the expectation is set up to be and that i can just vibe with the band and then if i'm feeling good okay feeling like i'm laying in the cut people are going to kind of adjust and hopefully it's just within it like i said within the first 30 seconds it'll get figured right. out but yeah you don't want to go up there and be the high maintenance oh yeah, yeah uh, give me give me five minutes to just get my level right before <laughs> yeah. this song starts no 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 no. nobody wants that so, except for maybe maybe the front of house engineer maybe the <laughs> monitor engineer but even then it's going to be awkward so nobody wants it <laughs> from so, uh okay. go Oh, I was just going to say, so you kind of let on. Uh, did you learn how to mix at church as well? Is that where you got your mixing skills? I mixed from uh, basically when I was – so when I was in middle school, I, I had a little punk rock band. Yeah. And I wanted to record my band. So I begged, begged my dad, saved up a bunch of money. Said, Dad, will you help me? I just, I, I need like an extra hundred bucks. I've heard this story before. <laughs> yeah, I need an extra that's, hundred that's my bucks. My little to get brother. Past the finish line. Like, I shoveled a hundred driveways this month. 
I'm in Minnesota, right? Yeah. I shoveled a hundred of our neighbors' driveways. I've I've done everything I can to to earn some money as a twelve year old. There's this Boss BR8 recorder, zip drive recorder. I, I really want it. It's used. It, it's, yeah. it's good. I, I gotta. I want to record my band. So I re- I got this thing. Didn't know what I was doing. I didn't take any classes. I didn't read any books. It was just the manual. Oh, reverb. What's reverb? Oh, cool. What's chorus? Oh, cool. And then, you know, all these other things. So I had three microphones and there was a bass guitarist. Me, he actually, yeah, we mic'd his, we put a mic. No, we faced our amps together is the first thing we did. My guitar amp and the bass amp. And we just put a mic in between those. It was some Radio Shack mic. We just put it on the floor in between the guitar amp and the bass amp. Then we put a mic just kind of in front of the drums and a mic in front of me singing. And that was our three inputs. It's like, oh, well, the drums actually sound better if you put it up here. But what if we record the vocal last? Like we can actually, we can do the guitar and bass separate and we put the drum mic up here and then that actually sounds better. And, you know, and then it's, oh, well, we need some more low end. And then it's just kind of figuring out. So, so as an eighth grader, I was kind of, getting my producing and mixing and engineering chops a little bit just out of experimentation and not knowing what we're doing. And then when I was in college, I took some classes in audio engineering and in producing or whatever. And making uh, beats, making sick beats. Yeah. 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 But also this is, you're, you're never going to find these albums and I, I wouldn't ever, it's not even worth trying to search and you, you won't find them, but I did about 40, 50 albums uh, where I like produced under these different pseudonyms. I just got work for hire, whether it be like Borders Bookstores or some of these like end cap music things, these different companies that just make music for like around St. Patrick's Day music, <laughs> you know, and it's just like at the checkout line and they put it up for sale. Yeah, the impulse buy CDs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> impulse, end cap meditative guitar right <laughs> i got hired to do a bunch of these i didn't get paid a lot of money and they they got what they paid for <laughs> i was in college and trying to figure out how to how to do this and it was just me and my little apogee into my laptop and figuring out okay this is how to record this and i what it, oh it sounds bad when it goes to the red and uh, <laughs> you know why is my why are my recordings all quieter than everybody else's oh the master bus and then you know it was just reading things and just experimenting so within these 40 albums i made and some people around the college that could kind of help me and online forums and youtube videos and buying a bunch of books i bought the Bobby Ozinski, is that how you oh, say yeah. his last name? Yeah, yeah. Mixing Engineer's Handbook, Mastering yeah. Engineer's Handbook, re- you know, reading all this kind of stuff to just experiment. But then in the end, it was all just trial and error. And then now eventually, you know, doing it more and more. And then the thing that was a real cha- game changer was when I started playing more bigger name sessions as a guitar player, I would kind of, you know, not not imposed, but just kind of look over the shoulder of the producer and the engineer. Oh, okay. Okay. Like, oh, okay. I see what you're doing. Ooh, all right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Taking notes, paying attention, and also showing interest. And you know, some there was a handful of uh, like John Fields really kind of took me under his wing for a while. Who produced so many hit records and mixed a bunch of great things. So I've learned a lot from him and working with really great producers. You start to recognize the things they're paying attention to. Oh, I should be paying attention to that. And then stuff just starts to fall in line. So I don't long story. No, I didn't learn to mix in church to answer your question. (laughs) Then then What was the name of the punk rock band? What was the name of the punk rock band? Well, my first band, it was called two fifty, and then we were called couch potato. Great. Come on. Great. Mm punk rock band couch potato it's good i think yeah. i was like in a band called the toxic waffles in high school for like Ooh, like six days toxic i think there's one of those waffles. yeah i was in well, a I was public in enemy coast, cover so, band uh, we've all got our you know oh did you say you were in a public enemy cover band <laughs> yeah it was called fire honky <laughs> wow <laughs> it was good it was good it was fun 
Actually, I had a, a non-existent band. I knew I wanted to be in a band when I was in fourth grade, but none of my friends and I played instruments. So we just created a fake band called Spaceship to Nowhere. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know if that's an actual band, but it felt like an awesome band name as fourth graders. Made it, it, album artwork. Everything, <laughs> everything but the actual music, right? The music. Yeah. T-shirts. <laughs> you, you, you could totally write a song to that now. I mean, you, you, that should be on your next album. I mean, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm, call, I'm calling it now. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious, um, you know, part of what you do isn't just the fact that you play the guitar, right? Like, I would, uh, you're an arranger, you're a composer. I mean, you're, you're correct me if I'm wrong, but you're writing, um, if anyone hasn't seen your, your work, I mean, it's, 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 it's big band, it's horns, there's, yeah. there's, 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 there's funk, there's uh, keyboards, bass, all this stuff, you're arranging all this stuff. I have to imagine that uh, part of that element of bringing that together enables you or empowers you to become a better mix engineer because you're already already hearing all this in your head to arrange it and so now you just need to you know to capture it is yeah that, does that make sense totally and mixing it if you're impatient like i used to be and like i sometimes still am it you try to get there and it's like that's almost there and sometimes you can just get complacent and it's fine but then you send it off to your your inner circle like seriously <laughs> like it's not you know it's not a horns album why why are the brass 10 dB above everything else and I think, oh yeah i guess you're right they are you know we get tunnel visioned or we just start the oh like this thing's really cool so then you you turn it up we're like yeah i played bass on this track and everybody listens like obviously you're the one who played bass and mixed it. <laughs> it's clear the bass player is the one who mixed this track so there's a certain self-awareness, there's a certain level of experience. And then just for me, because I'm not, I don't consider myself the greatest mix engineer, but I'll work really, really hard and long to get it right or to where, I, to, to, to where it, it represents what I'm hearing in my head, like you're saying. And yeah, part of what I'm hearing in my head, I know I can get it there or really close. And then I just need some other outside opinion. Like I, I just need halfway between objective and subjective opinions because sometimes as as an artist a ranger as the guitar player or the bass player or even just the person mixing oh i feel really good about the way i got the snare sounding on this one i just need somebody else's opinion like yeah the snare sounds good but it it's too loud oh okay cool i'll, I'll turn it down and and that sort of thing really helps so yes as an arranger as somebody who writes the music there are certain things that I have in mind that are the focal point where sometimes, you know, if I've, I've, I've had people mix music of mine where I've had uh, the thing pretty much set and I had my rough producers mix and I send it off to a mixing engineer and they open the session, zero everything out, which can be fine, whatever, but they didn't listen to the reference mix. And then all of a sudden it's, oh, all the keyboards are the things that are way up front instead of the guitars. And they didn't really realize that the guitar, because it's, if it's my album, the guitar is kind of one of the centerpieces <laughs> of the thing. And, and then the vision is kind of, ah, it's, it, it sounds good, but it's just, it's just different because you need to do this to this, you know, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I, I think for me, when I mix my own stuff, I already come in knowing the intention of some of those things or being the producer, it doesn't mean that somebody else couldn't mix it better. Plenty of people could mix it better than me, but <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes it's just, it's fun. It's a nice challenge for me to do it myself. Also, it saves me a lot of money, um, but it would be, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, it definitely helps. Like, and sometimes I just have the time to do it and I want to gain that experience. Mm -hmm. Um, like with the the meditations album, the one that got the that got nominated for the Grammy. First off, Russ Elevato, Russell Elevato engineered that just flawlessly. So I open up Pro Tools and it sounds really good and it sounds really natural. So when I mixed that album, it was more artistic choices. How do I mm. shape the sonic palette of this journey to go, you know, with certain automation things or reverb things um, in a tasteful, in a musical way? but just enhance what's there. So when I was mixing it, you know, we didn't even really, we recorded it and didn't know when we were going to put it out or what kind of thing we were going to do. But after a tour got canceled, I just had a bunch of time one month 
And it's, I don't know. I've got the second half of March to do kind of whatever. I'll mix this album that we recorded and see what happens. And, you know, I mixed the album and here we are. So uh, sometimes I mix my own stuff just because I like the, I want to get the experience and, and keep getting better at it. Cause it's, to me, it is kind of fun. It's a different creative outlet than playing. So it was so funny when I, I had texted these guys a couple of weeks ago and said, Hey, I invited Corey Wong to come on the show. And Chris texted me back and said, the guitar player. Cause we're, we usually have, you know, audio engineers on the show. Yeah. And I said, yeah, yeah, but I said, just, just go poke around a little bit. And then I think like every two or three days for the, for the next, up until yesterday, he would send a YouTube video and be like, yo, this is awesome. And then like another, <laughs> then I could tell he was going out and he'd find something else and he'd be like, yo, this is awesome. So he kind of, it was fun to see. I mean, it's such a multifaceted body of work that you have. It's really interesting. Um, something that's important for us on the show, we have a lot of listeners who are, uh, you know, sort of starting their careers in audio. They might be college students or, or, sure. Um, you've been very, very uh, forthright with sort of saying, hey, here's how I got my start and here's how I started getting on call lists for studio sessions and sharing uh, your knowledge with people. And uh, that's that's a big part of our philosophy on the show. So I definitely want to encourage anyone who's listening to swing by Corey's YouTube channel and check out what he's talking about uh, on those subjects. But what I really want to talk about is live in Amsterdam because – what a cool wow. project, man! Wow. Um, Sounds so good. Yeah, that must have been just a blast to to work on. That was insane. That was so much fun, and that obvi- that was for obvious reasons the hardest album that I ever mixed. No doubt, because it's sixty musicians. <laughs> so <laughs> the fortunate thing is, I couldn't believe this. So going into this, I wasn't sure what the monitoring situation was going to be what the mic situation was going to be. Oh, we're just going to put a deca tree above the strings or whatever. They close mic'd every string Yeah. They close mic'd every instrument. Everybody's on ears. So there was so much isolation that made it really easy. And their engineers are incredible. Uh, this guy, Dirk, who does their, who's like their main engineer, he made it really easy for me. As easy as he could, I guess. I'll put it that way. Um, <laughs> But yeah, that one was super fun because it was so much music and there's so many different things happening. So my approach to that was, okay, let's approach it similar to the way a conductor would looking at the score and just the same way that I would do with any other session, but by by sections. So, okay, my rhythm section is one thing, drums, bass, keyboards, guitar, auxiliary percussion. Those are all kind of rhythm section, the way that they functioned. And then there was all the other things that that functioned either as melodic or padding or um, or textural sounds where it's woodwinds. I, I separated the woodwinds by kind of the softer woodwinds, uh, flute, clarinet sort of thing, and then bass clarinet. And then the saxophones in their own thing. And then there was a wood. So woodwinds one, all going into one bus. Woodwinds two into a bus. And then those two going into a, just a full-on woodwinds bus. And then there was a brass bus with the trumpets and then the like high brass and low brass. So trumpets and then trombone, French horn, that sort of thing. And then there was a strings bus that was uh, violin ones, violin twos, violas cellos and the string the double bass that because they all function together normally they would weave together so then it's okay if i think of, if i organize them all together make them sound good together and then make that but make all the buses sound good together and understand how each of those roles work it really helped me but it was it was a lot of work then there's a lot the of charts for that i did yes awesome yeah Amazing. so that helped me a lot too so when i was mixing i was I was looking on with the score and recognizing, oh, wait, am I, am I not catching? Oh, this, I need to bump this up. This isn't kind of, so that, that really did help. The fact How, that I can. Did read. it take forever? <laughs> yeah. I it mean, did. that is incredible. Like way to go, dude. That's, yeah, I mean, you. listening to it is amazing, but knowing that you did the charts for that as well. Wow. Well, I didn't do all the arrangements for it. 
I, I was involved with the arranger, but the, a lot of the there with the Metropole Orchestra has a bunch of their arrangers. Right. I worked with them on on their arranging and that sort of thing. But yeah, I mean, it, I was on tour. I did a U.S. tour, like a Midwest Midwest East Coast tour in January, and pretty much every day between sound check and the gig, I was going through and editing and mixing. I mean, there wasn't a lot of editing, but it was mixing, finding all the little details every day. And honestly, the majority of that record, I was mixing just from my iPhone headphones. And then when I got off tour, it was like, all right, get on my setup. All right, does this work? What's what's changing here or there? And uh, yeah, so it was, it was a lot of time. It was a lot of time, but it was fun. It was really fun. Yeah. That's an important lesson for people listening or watching, you know, at home. Like, so a majority of that album uh, or live DVD or whatever. Um, do we still have DVDs? Um, I was, have a lot of DVDs. Thank you very much. <laughs> was uh, was again? You, you don't need some of the best equipment to to, to st- you know you know to get in and, and start messing with these things and working on things. So I think it's pretty cool. Um, so I, you know, there's a you have an exciting series coming out, um, uh, and. That was that was the most recent text where he was like, "This is cool." Like, yeah, so that was, yeah. You know. and, <laughs> and, long notes that one. Yes, it's yeah. like it's like a it's like, and you could probably do a better job. I'm probably going to butcher this, but like it's like a it's a late night show, variety style show, whatever. Uh, and the energy, first off, the energy you have on any of your live shows seems amazing, and I can't wait to actually see you in live. <clears throat> um, but it looks to be, in my opinion, I, there's been a lot of content that's come out in the last year in terms of virtual concerts sure. or virtual stuff. I, it of all the things I've seen, I'm most excited to wait for this to come out, right? Like, I, because it looks like the most engaging, short of being at a venue and being a part involved. It seems like you do that. So, but the biggest thing that I notice is, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like a lot of what you're doing and playing um, is only only the baseline of what's happening around you in terms of what you're creating and in terms of musical engagement, right? Like, and in fact, I was having a conversation with a guy at work and I was like, Hey, you know, um, because I'm not a guitar player sure. and, and, um, and so listen to some of your work. It's like, okay, a lot of you obviously have a certain style, the way you play. And I don't know how it's described, but like the way you, the way you strum is, it's a very, um, very similar way you strum throughout a lot of your songs. Right. Sure. And yeah. for me as a non-guitar player, and I don't, it might come up sounds wrong. It not that it becomes repetitive or old, but it's like okay, that doesn't draw me as much. What draws me personally is obviously what's actually happening around you. Sure. And what he this guy pointed out to me is like, well, that's actually the beauty of what Corey is doing in that, like, you know, he's not there to be this showman lead person the entire time. You're there to bring out all these elements and bring that as an experience. Yeah. Um, does that make sense? And what kind of work goes into creating your music and creating that live show? That was a 100%. long-winded thing there, sorry. Yeah, no, it's fine. <laughs> that, that makes total sense. And, you know, I'm like consummate rhythm player. And, mm-hmm. and part of my thing is I'm like a lead rhythm player, right? So a lot of my rhythm parts can be lead parts. And that's, that's kind of one of the riddles that I've been trying to solve is how can I be the leader as a rhythm guitar player? Mm-hmm. And that's, it's a fun thing to, to try to figure out. But also, your, your friend is not wrong at all in that so much of what I try to showcase in my music is beyond just, I guess what most of us or what many people have thought of when they think of guitar album is, all right, it's just going to be a bunch of bleh, guitar in Shred, your face, spreading all this. <laughs> and that's fun. I like that. I like that. But for me personally, even as a guitar player, I kind of, I kind of have enough after about 15 minutes of that. So for 20 minutes, I don't know. It depends on the day. <laughs> or maybe even two minutes. But uh, for me, I, I just feel like what I bring to the table, what, what's compelling about, okay, sure, I could shred for an hour and people would like it and they'd enjoy it and it'd be a good time. But for me, what feels most compelling about what I do is not necessarily that side of things. What feels most magnetic about me, and I think this is important for any person to try to figure out, is what is it that's magnetic or sticky about what you do that that is different because there's so many amazing guitar players there's there's incredible there's thousands of incredible guitar players out there what is it that makes each of us unique so for me the thing that's most sticky and magnetic is beyond just guitar gymnastics sure i can do the guitar gymnastics 
let's go to the Olympics. I'm there for the, <laughs> you know, uh, relay or whatever. But beyond that, what's fun is bringing all these other elements, showcasing myself as a writer, arranger, producer. Of course, I work with other great arrangers and, and things as well. But um, just how I arrange a band and a show and arrange everything that goes with it, how the rhythm section flows with the horn section and, and how those things lock or weave or connect or don't connect and then <gasps> come together. You know, some of that stuff is is just as fun to me to do as showing off what I can do on the guitar. Yeah. If, I mean, yeah, if that's what you leave with, fine. But for me, I have a much bigger vision than, like I always say this is, if you leave my show thinking that Corey's great at guitar, okay, cool. But the thing that I really want you to do after you leave my show is, wow, that was really fun. There was something really joyful about that. I feel joy. And that to me has been a guiding light. And if, if what, if, if, if you happen to love what I do on guitar beyond that, cool. But the main thing I want is for you to have fun and have a sense of joy. So it's not about me as a guitar player, which a lot of people that's, why they do what they do they want Mm -hmm. you to see how great they are at guitar and that's cool there there's a place for that that's not necessarily me and that's okay for them and it's okay for me so yeah you know Corey, when uh when i was first sort of getting into your catalog um what really struck me was the title of your album uh motivational music for the syncopated soul yeah and like that title just really stood out to me and i and i was just like the syncopated soul I get it. Like, it was just like, you're a percussive <laughs> rhythmic player. Yeah. You know, it's, it's about the whole vibe. Like you're, you're obviously the lead guitar player in the stuff you're doing, but it's not a lead guitar record. Sure. Necessarily. And, and, yeah. and I just thought that, you know, for me that really just struck a chord, no pun intended, mm. you know, but like, you know, I really, I really got into it from that aspect of, okay, like you're, you're driving the listener to pay attention to the group, to the arrangement, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is that you're going for. It's not the, it's not necessarily the Corey Wong show, you know, Sure. even though it is, I mean, you know, it is, but like um, in all the best ways possible, I think you've really found a interesting way to highlight the musicians that you bring along with you um, and, and really give space for everyone to, to have their, their moment and really do what they're good at. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool. I really appreciate that. That's definitely part of the thing. And with this show, Corey and the Wong notes, it's, <laughs> that, it's like, it's this fun 11 piece band that why I, I have these incredible musicians around me. Why wouldn't I showcase what they can do? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Ball around, you know, it's like we're playing catch. Everybody's getting their turn, you know? You know, in a way, I think it's a little bit of a microcosm of what we do as audio engineers, where an audio engineer will listen to a mix and go, wow, that snare sounds really nice, or the toms sound really nice, whereas a person who's a non-musician and not audio engineer, uh, they just know, like, I like this, or I don't like this, or it's fun to listen to, you know what I mean? So, um, you know, I think letting people in on it, basically, it it becomes accessible, right? I mean, We we can as musicians listen to a guitar virtuoso record and say wow it's really incredible what he's doing you know I've never heard sweet picking that fast or whatever but yeah, yeah. but but it's musicians music and so I think by by bringing the audience into it um, it, it it it's not you're not talking down to people with what you're doing uh, you know people it was funny because I just got a new TV and it has that cast the Chromecast thing mm, um, yeah. so if I'm watching a YouTube video and I like it I'll hit the button and it comes out on the living room and my girlfriend will be out there and so she just has to endure. <laughs> whatever I think is you know interesting that day, but uh, when I, some when I, I put on one of your things the other day, and she actually left it on, um, and she's not a musician, and so I think you know I think the, the your your approach is a lot like what we do as mix engineers, where it's not all about listen to my cool vintage reverb that I'm doing. Like there's stuff that we do that's cool to us, but at the end of the day, the average concert goer, the average consumer of this music, they need to enjoy themselves. They need to have a good time. They need to just have a good experience with that. And and so I think the engineering workflow and your mind kind of shows through all the steps of that process, whether it's your arranging, your, your playing, your mixing, it's, it's very interesting, you know, the whole thing. In a lot of ways, the audience doesn't care about that vintage reverb sure. or whatever. They, yeah. They're there for the product. They're there for the experience, you know? So like as mix engineers, that's something that we're, you know, acutely aware of is, is we're delivering an experience and it goes, um, you know, the same when you're, 
you're driving a 11 piece band, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, and sometimes as, as engineers, the thing that's nice is that you can put some objective things to of subjective statements. So I was just listening to um, a Madison Cunningham album and I was thinking, this just sounds so cool. What is it about <laughs> it that sounds so cool right now? And it will sound cool. Like Blake Mills albums, there's like certain things that come out of certain areas that just sound really cool to me right now. What are some objective things about this? Like musically, arrangement-wise, instrument-wise, and audio-wise, what, what is it that sounds... How can I pinpoint what sounds cool about this? And it can be oh, yeah, it's this certain Gibson Falcon amp or, you know, the way that this uh, this API console sounds mixed with this thing or whatever. Like, oh, it's these, you know, like th- this is the, the spring re- reverb just cranked through an 1176 or whatever. I don't know, whatever it is. But there are certain things as audio engineers that you guys are going to be able to say, ooh, this is a really cool thing to do. And we might, as as audio people, enjoy like, ooh, this is cool to do because we're using this thing. But to to the average listener, like you're saying, sometimes it's just gonna sound cool, and they don't. <laughs> but they will. You you guys will get, you'll get to the same result. Right. You'll be stoked about it. It's like, oh man, that sounds awesome. But you might be excited about different things, mm-hmm. or you might get to that final conclusion through a different route or whatever. So I think. In the end, if you are thinking about, like you're saying, sometimes you, you just need to think about what the listener thinks. If you're at the, you know, if you're mixing a Fallout Boy show, people are there to see that show. Or if you're mixing, you know, a certain, a certain album, people are going to expect a certain thing from that. And you can bring what, whatever uh, thing you want, but it needs to also get the audience to the same end. I'm curious if you, um, given you have so much going on stage, uh, both just what you have to play, both of what you have arranged, and staying in tune with them, what what is your headspace like during a show? If you had to describe what's going on in there, um, most of the time I come pretty prepared, well, very prepared, so I'm not nervous about. Do I remember what's going to happen? Most of the time, I'm reading the energy of the room, what people are responding to, and reading the energy of the band. And as somebody who's the, in the case of a Corey Wong show, I'm the band. It's different. So I'll, I'll give you, I guess, a couple different answers. When Corey Wong, if I'm the band leader, I am charging the energy of the thing. And I need to be, the fr- if something's starting to, ah, the rhythm section's kind of, what are like the horn section's dragging tonight. How can I kind of help tie this together? Or is there a certain energy that we can do to, to neutralize all of this? I need to be aware of those things. And I'm very, very acutely aware of how the band is feeling subdivision, how the band is feeling creatively, and how the audience is responding to those things. So sometimes keyboard player Kevin's having a hot night. Ooh, let's keep passing the ball to him. Or, um, you know... Pitar is having a great night. I'm going to pass the ball to him a little bit more. Or, you know, the audience is really connecting with this thing or that more. So I'll kind of steer the ship a little bit one way or the other. Because even so we build a set list and it's not like we have a show that we just do the same show every tour. Some, some tours are like that for other artists. I kind of have some songs that I want to do because there's certain things that I've worked out. But then a lot of jumping points for exploration. And I'm just kind of, that's what I'm thinking about. That's what it's going through my mind all the time, that. And, and just how to express what I want to express through the music, through my instrument, through the band, and through my, you know, the big picture and the joy to the audience. In Wolfpack, it's a different thing. I'm, I'm playing, I'm part of the band, so my role is very different. And I'm following Jack, the band leader, much more. So I'm always, I'm paying attention to what I'm doing. I'm feeling the energy of the crowd and feeling the energy of the band with each other, but I don't feel the same responsibility to carry it along. I'm, I'm looking to Jack for cues. I'm, I'm waiting to, cause I trust him. What's his instinct on what we should do or where we should go. <gasps> okay. I'm going to, I'll help guide it this way. Or if he'll give me a certain look, I'll push something this way or pull it back this way. 
um, with Ben Rector, I'm, I'm playing a certain role in a different function. So I am aware of where is Ben is the leader. He's the focus of the thing pretty much at all times, unless he's like, all right, this is a guitar moment. Go make yourself known. And then I go up and do what I do, but I'm always aware of what the leader is doing and where they're kind of guiding things. Ah, does it feel like he's struggling tonight? Well, I'm going to, let's go extra hard. Let's really, let's, let's give him the energy that he needs. Maybe I'll even walk over there and, and like, you know, give him some physical energy by just like, you know, the presence sort of thing, or maybe it's a musical thing. So I try to be aware of what my role and function is either as a, a leader, a band member, or as a hired, a gun or whatever, yeah. and then try to try to best suit whatever I can do. If it's, if I'm the leader, I got to serve that purpose and take everybody's input and guide them and the audience and usher the thing along. If I'm part of the band, I'm following the band leader and moving along with the band. If I'm a side man, I've always eyes to the leader or paying attention there and then feeling my awareness of that role and that function to make sure that they're performing their absolute best, but also me delivering in my, because like I said at the beginning, if, if I come prepared and I know what I'm doing, that way I can live in this other land where I'm paying attention. Notice how almost none of this has to do with is this an A7 or an A7? <laughs> that's, that's what I was talking about at the beginning. It's, you know, yeah. that was muscle memory at that point, you know? And yeah. it's interesting you, you mentioned that because, you know, I'm thinking back on shows that I've played where, you know, the lead singer has been a little down or whatever. And, and doing the same thing, you know, I never really had put, you know, I never thought about it like that. Like that, you know, I was as a lead guitar player going to go up to the lead singer and, and give him some physical energy. But I totally did that. I mean, that's, you know, that, that, it makes a lot of sense, you know, um, you know, you, if the vibe is not where it needs to be, you know, it's sort of, you know, you're on stage, it's your, you know, I consider a responsibility, you know, to, to help move things where they need to go, you know? Yeah. And, and it's also your responsibility to understand, are they kind of a little more chill because that's what they want to do? Or are they chill? Are they trying to get the energy? <laughs> right. If they're trying to get the energy, help them get there. But if yeah. they're pulling it that's back because they're just not feeling it, yeah, the, the more you get in there, the more you get in and try to do it. I want to pull it back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So sometimes it's reading that. Yeah, that's, that's, totally. that can be difficult. I think about uh, one of my favorite guitar players, Robbie McIntosh, um, mm, played yeah. rhythm for Paul McCartney, right? And yeah. then goes later in his career, plays rhythm for John Mayer. Like, yeah. So he's one of the best guitar players out there, but he's playing you know, support roles to yeah. these incredible musicians. And it's amazing the level of skill and he's just in this pocket. And I think about, you know, uh, when I was at, at Berkeley, Victor Wooten came and one of the things he said is, you know, the, one of the most important things about music is knowing when not to play. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's, that's really uh, one of your biggest strong suits as a player and why I think your music's so accessible and why it's fun to listen to is because um, you do such a good job supporting, you know, wherever the attention's supposed to be at the moment, which is something that is very, very important to us as live mix engineers. Yeah. Where should the audience's attention be right now? Yeah, um, you know, it is a is a big, big, big thing, and you you make it so much easier for the production people to do that because you, you know it's it's really funny to watch the videos, the people that are in the front row and they're right in front of you at the Ben Rector show, and they're three feet from you, but they're looking at Ben, and then when they look at you, and then when they look back to Ben, like the 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 passing the, the audience attention around. It's a yeah. really important thing. And it's something that maybe we don't pay as much attention as we should to uh, when we're mixing a show, but it's definitely something to think about, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and if you know, for me, I've noticed in certain shows, this is verse two and the audience is the people in front of me are looking right at me and paying attention to what I'm doing instead of the lead singer. Maybe I need to pull back. Mm whether it be something I'm playing or just physically the way I'm presenting myself instead of being out here, maybe it's <laughs> here. Maybe I, I just need to be less engaging because it actually, and, and I think in that, that covers it, whether it be musically or presence wise, energy wise, how much you're engaging from the audience. Sometimes it actually takes away. And, right. um, you know, and that some people's greatest strong suit is how engaging they are. Mm -hmm. And it's just, knowing when to harness that 
and knowing when to dial it back, I think is, yeah, it's, it's a difficult thing. You're right. Like sub it's sometimes it's weird to think, Oh yeah, the people that are three feet in front of me, right at the, on the other side of the barricade, they should be looking at me. No, 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 no. This isn't my, if, if I'm playing guitar and the verse is being sung center stage and I'm stage left or whatever, they, they should be looking there. They should be watching that. And maybe every once in a while they're looking around at the other stuff. But in general, if you kind of see the school of fish go this way and then go this way and then go that way, you know, that's, that's how it should be. You're absolutely right. And the band can project that and lighting cues can help guide that along. And there's a bunch of production things that can help guide that along. But the best thing is, is if the band just inherently has that in their arranging and in the way that they present that on stage because it makes it easier for the mix engineers, makes it easier for the entire production team to facilitate that shift. So customary question before we wrap up here. Uh, every, every one of our guests has gone through this gauntlet and you're no exception, Corey. Like uh, if we're coming to town, we're coming to visit and we say, hey, take us someplace really awesome for some really awesome food. What's your go-to? What's your favorite food? Favorite um, place to take people? Okay, we're in Minneapolis here to establish that. Um, it depends, and uh, in a world where we go out, if you want to go out for, I'm gonna I'm gonna give several answers. If you want to go to nice Indian food, I'm gonna say Gorka Palace or Namaste India, two different kind of different sides of town. If you want to go out for a really nice meal, there's a place called Spoon and Stable that I love. And they also have a really great brunch, Sunday brunch. Great. They have this uh, pastry chef. She like did this insane thing in France. She's insane. Um, You want to go for a nice, if if it's a vegan vegetarian, there's a place called Seed Cafe. It's incredible. My favorite place in town to go. And we're going for coffee. We're going to go to either Spy House or Five Watt. Or if you're a real coffee stem, you're like, I want the little lower. There's a place called Wesley Andrews. So I'm going to kind of feel out your vibe on whether you want like cool coffee shop or if you want the place that's a little more low key, like, oh, yeah, we're the baddest, but not everybody knows. <laughs> no, you know, sort of thing. You know, uh, yeah. That, that's the food answers, I guess. There you go. And I'm sure we'll get some some uh, interesting emails, and we usually get some responses from our listeners in that area who will be familiar with those places, and they're gonna they're yeah. gonna uh, agree or disagree, and they'll be really interesting. Uh, Corey, no, thank you, know, Mike. I have one more question. <laughs> oh, Chris has got a question. Okay, Chris, yeah. go ahead. So, yeah, so, Corey, uh, you know you've you've increased your online presence significantly in the past few years. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that you know there, it's safe to say that you probably you know you've yeah, i mean your audience has just gotten so much bigger so yeah. now that you're you know talking about where you go out in minneapolis are you getting recognized more or are you uh you still able to fly under the radar at home no i definitely get recognized a lot more but um i don't know in minnesota people don't really care also they might recognize me but they don't they don't give a crap. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're that guy from the internet. <laughs> but also, I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah. But I think most people around Minneapolis that recognize me know that I'm from Minneapolis, so it's not a real surprise. Right? Yeah, sure, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, speaking of getting that that audience and, and known, um, your answer might be a little different than others, given that you already have a. Uh, some of this going on, but something I've been asking everyone this year is if um, if you could define what you want your legacy to be, what what would that be? Heavy hitting question there. I think uh, it's it's similar to what I was saying about the live shows, where it's it's uh, it's an entire package of things beyond just guitar playing and whatever that that just brings joy to people and. To me, that is a, a very long-lasting ideal and legacy that can is um, a is a it's not a principle, but something that can that can live on much longer than just Sustain- sustainable. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's something that that we all want. We all want to live. I mean, because there's a difference between being happy and being joyful, enjoying something. Mm-hmm. They're, they're different things. So. 
um, a real sense of joy can come from different places. But if I can help usher that, if people turn on my music or my videos or projects that I've been a part of, and it kind of gives that mm-hmm. sparkle or whatever, that kind of dust on their day, then great. That's to me the the most important thing. Awesome. Corey, thank and, you so and they much know for that your time, I man. Can, <laughs> can arpeggios faster. <laughs> That's Wouldn't that awesome. be awesome if that was actually my answer? Like, man, I, just want, I want people to know how fast I can shred diminished skills. <laughs> and you're like, Ingve, Alex Skolnick, I'm coming for you, bro. <laughs> now, Ingve's harmonic Yngwie. minor, dude. Ingve's got harmonic minor on lock. Oof. I can't mess with that. Nobody can. Thank you so much, man. It was really yeah, cool thank having you, Corey. you. It was great. Oh, thank you guys. Love what you're doing. Thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, super fun. I'm excited.